Happy New Year. It's a, uh, it's a new year. It's also a new day. Um, I think it's kind of a new season um, for us as a church. And uh, I'll explain that a little bit. Um, I really appreciated, Mike, what you uh, just kind of given us some clarity around where we are in the process. Because um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been away from someone who you love for a long time. And when you come back, it's a little bit awkward at first um, because kind of life has continued on on both sides of the equation apart from one another and you still really care for each other but there's some story that's taken place in each of our lives and when you come back together, you, you can't really pick up exactly where you left off it because some things have changed, you know, and yet you still are committed to each other and so you have to kind of reconnect and, and once you get reconnected, then you can start to say, all right, where do we go from here sort of thing. And uh, there's a little bit of awkwardness in that stage. And I, I don't know about you, but I've actually felt that awkwardness here at Parker Ford Church over the last month um, where I've been here, but it's been, we haven't really connected yet and kind of defining how we're moving forward. And by definition, things have to be different at this point. Um, I mean, uh, you know, seven years ago, Josh Bitework and I came here to do a replant here. Uh, the bite works are in Michigan now, um, and uh, things are, are different at this point. The, the church has changed so much in the last seven years. Over the last four months, the Lord has uh, given space uh, for Jen and I to really reflect on the last seven years, and, uh, and he's kind of been teaching us things and walking us through things, and I know that he's been working with Parker Ford, and so there's this season of time where we kind of have to feel each other back out and figure out, all right, where's the Lord take us from here? And that takes some conversation. And sometimes when you're in that waiting period, it can be really awkward. I remember when um, I was uh, with, uh, wow, that just caught me emotionally. Hang on, sorry. Um, when I was with Jen's parents asking, um, asking them for her hand in marriage, it was so funny. I went, I set up a time to be with them, and Jen and I hadn't been dating for a while, and I was going to propose to her. And, um, and so I went to talk to them, and they had me sit down at the table when I showed up, and they were playing a board game. And they just had me sit down and play sequins with them. And I'm like, this is so awkward. I'm about to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And for like two hours, they had me playing this game, and I was kind of waiting for the moment, and they were waiting for the moment. And finally, I'm like, look, it's getting late. I got to roll. Can I talk to you about something? And they're like, put the game aside. But that, I remember we were trying to do small talk that whole time, and I felt really weird. And they seemed to be loving it, watching me squirm, you know? And uh, so anyway, there's conversations that, uh, that are really important moving forward about where's God taking Parker Ford Church? And what's everyone's role? And how, I mean, we have interim staff right now. The bite works aren't here. I'm back from sabbatical. Where's the Lord taking us? All those things are, are really important, but they also have, uh, we ha- and we really need to honor the space that the Lord's given. What we don't want to do is re-enter and just, okay, let's pick up where we left off. That would kind of undo a lot of the benefit of what sabbatical's all about. It gives space to reflect on where things have been, what is God saying now, where is he calling us moving forward, and so we want to honor that. And, you know, if you've ever been on a missions trip or been to a conference or done something where you've had a, a, a real kind of game-changing moment with the Lord, you really hope that when you come back from that, that you're able to integrate some of what you've learned, um, and, and that's kind of how this is. And, um, and it's also, uh, one more picture of that is there's times where there's something that I have to talk to Jen about but the kids are around, 
And I kind of have to wait for the moment and, until we can talk about it before we process that with the kids. And that's the situation we are with the elders. Like Mike said, we've had one conversation. We weren't even able to talk logistics or anything. It was a great time together, but uh, you can never get as far as you want to in, a, in an initial conversation. So uh, I also reiterate what Mike said. Thanks for continued patience and just feel the need to name that that I feel a little awkward about that. You all probably feel a little awkward about that. I even feel weird preaching this morning just because, like, still kind of feel like we're in that spot a little bit. And yet the cool thing about this message is it's just 100% on Jesus, and we can agree about that, right? And so the idea is refocusing on Christ. Instead of refocusing on church or refocusing on who's in what role or refocusing on what's going on, Let's just like talk about Jesus today because that's, that's what brings us together. That's what we have in common. And no matter what's happening or what's going on, you know, that's what we got. We always have that. We always have Jesus. And that's what, when we find ourselves really connected with Christ, all of a sudden all the other concerns uh, can kind of fade. I, I noticed that in the, um, if you got the email or the preview for the series, there was a quote in there um, from the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I hope that today, as we focus on, on the message, that that's what, um, that's what we'll experience is just turning toward him. I do want to uh, say, I, I, there's the report um, from sabbatical that I wrote up that's in everyone's box. Uh, that just basically tells you what, uh, kind of logistically, what sabbatical looked like. And reminds us of what the aim was of sabbatical and how God was working in that time. It doesn't go into great detail about what it is that uh, I uh, uh, believe the Lord is, has really spoken to us in the meantime or thoughts about Parker Ford. It's a two-page report that, that talks about what it was like, you know, and giving you a perspective on what it was like. And I talked about some of that my first Sunday back and thanked people um, on that Sunday who have really had to walk through some carrying some heavy load over the last four months. And I want to reiterate that, particularly the elders, uh, staff, Josh, um, just I know, I know that's been a, a great burden, and I really appreciate it. You know, the, the spiritually what I thought was going to take place in sabbatical was I thought I was going to step into a place where it was like Garden of Eden, you know? Or it's just like in the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve walked with God every day. And I was like, I couldn't wait to get space, just me and God. I'll be honest, it took a long time to get to anything close to that. I didn't realize how much I had to decompress and how much stuff I had to work through. There's, um, uh, there's, I had a friend who's a recording artist, and he said there's this thing that happens when you record a song with your band and everything, and then you, the mixer is trying to mix it right, and what they end up doing is you listen to the whole thing, but when something sounds off, they go back and they mute all the tracks except one. And they listen to that track and they see if everything's on tune and then they switch to the next track. And he's like, and when it's your track that's being muted and the whole band's sitting there listening, you pretty much feel the pressure of like, all right, everyone's only hearing me right now. And sabbatical a little bit is like that. When you remove all the other people from the equation and you remove the church and you remove everything, there's just like, it's just me and God. And then it's like, whew, uh, <laughs> this is real simple. If there's things that I'm struggling with, it's just me and God. And so I got to deal with that, you know? And there's stuff that I had to probe into in my life. And it's sometimes when we're in a communal setting, it's so complicated. Is this their issue or my issue or whatever? And 
But on sabbatical, it was like, we had to deal with stuff, and there's stuff that I really needed to, to walk through with the Lord. And, um, and so that, it took a little time getting through some of that stuff, and this, that's, that's an ongoing process, and that relates a lot, I think, to, to the message today as well. And, um, and so spiritually speaking, the, the first part of sabbatical was actually very kind of tricky. It wasn't uh, as idyllic as I had hoped um, on a spiritual level. On a family level, one of the added benefits, any of you who have had a demanding career or have a really busy life, you know what can happen with your family and your life and your children. Time, none of us ever feel like we have enough time with our kids. But when you're in a really high-stress, demanding situation, you know that um, things can go missing. And one of the added benefits of sabbatical, wasn't the primary intention, but one of the added benefits is we got some really unique time as a family. And that was nothing but awesome. It was just incredible for our family. And uh, just ask these guys, you know, and they'll let you know it was a very, very special time for us to, um, to just be together. So I just want to thank you for that. That was really special. And we needed that. We really needed that. Um, seasons and times shift not just because we decide that they shift. They shift because they shift, you know, because God marks the seasons and the times. And it doesn't matter if you'd still want to be a little baby held in your mama's arms. <laughs> you just grow. That's the way it works. And sometimes it'd be like, ah, I'd love to just stay in elementary school, but I had to go to middle school. And, uh, and you have, we, ha- we all have different seasons in our lives, single times, married times, kids out of the house times, retirement years, whatever they are. And those things shift. We change. Times change. And seven years is actually one of those markers that you see all the time in the scriptures. That's kind of a natural rhythm, it seems like. Um, And it's been seven years since the replant. Um, And kind of double that for Jen and I in ministry. Um, And this was kind of a natural moment, I think, a God-defined moment where things have changed. You know, they really have. Um, And what it looks like moving forward could be something to be scared of or... It could be that we as Christians say the glory days are never what's behind us. They're always what Christ has in front of us because we look forward to the day when we're fully united with Jesus. And there's that moment in Haggai when there's the, 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 he says, you remember that former church, the former temple, and you look back at it with despair compared to this new temple? And he says, but the glory of this new temple will be greater than the glory of the temple before. And as we look forward to what it is that God has, I just want to encourage all of us to know things are different, but God is good and God is faithful and God has better things in front of us than he had behind us because God never regresses. God only moves forward. His kingdom continues to grow and be built. And we have great assurance in that. And so with that said, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how what it is that God's been doing in us through difficulties or through joys or whatever, how that is going to manifest moving forward. My last um, moment here before sabbatical, I was sitting in here, the chairs were all gone, um, and there was nothing in here, none of this craziness that Corey put up here or whatever, you know. (laughs) Um, This looks awesome. You guys did a great job. Um, But it was just really empty in here, and I was just standing here in front of the cross and praying um, and my seven years before that, I had come in here just off of having a deep, rich time with the church I was coming from. 
And I remember sitting on a stool. I brought a stool in and sat it down right here, and I had a guitar, and I was trying to worship the Lord. This is seven years ago. I was having the hardest time worshiping the Lord in here, and I couldn't figure out why. I just could not connect with the Lord. And then just a few months ago when I was here before I left for sabbatical, I was just deeply engaged with the Lord. And he was right there with me. And we were um, in, a, in a place of intimacy. And, and he said, things have changed here in the last seven years. Celebrate that. Celebrate that. There, there's been good things that have happened. And you need, to, you need to celebrate that. And then you need to say, that was those seven years. And seal it up and say, what wasn't perfect, give to me. What was awesome, celebrate with me. And then look forward to what it is that I have next. Now walk out this door and don't look back. That's what he said. Don't look back. When you come back in this door, look for something new. Don't go. And, and so that's where, that's where I am right now, um, looking forward to what it is that God has, looking forward to conversations with elders, looking forward to conversations with the staffing board, looking forward to conversations with all of you, and looking forward to seeing where, where the Lord has us moving forward. So that's uh, about what I have to say now. The elders actually have asked that... Um, like Mike said, that we just kind of take this appropriately one step at a time um, and, and process well together. Um, I, I'm looking forward to kind of having more interaction around that Q&A, sharing more about what the Lord did in that time. Um, but that's where we are right now. So we're going to transition into the message here. Um, please join me for a word of prayer. Before time began and after this world expires, there is one who was, there is one who is, and there is one who will be. We are like grass. We grow, we have flowers maybe, and then we wither and we fade. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And we find ourselves full of joy and full of purpose and peace when we find ourselves in you. And so, Jesus, all that is not in you among us, any part of us that is not in you, we ask that by your grace, God, and in your love, you would cleanse it and bring us more fully into you, into the timeless one. We trust you for that. We know that you're our Father, that there is no person who um, should be in the spotlight other than you, that all glory is yours. And that as a, as a church, God, you, you give us each gifts and you give us each roles and all of those things. But there's only one church, there's only one body, there's only one head, there's only one faith, there's only one Lord, there's only one baptism. It's all you. And so today, we're not looking for, for uh, Pastor Tim to come back and do something special. We're not looking for a reconnection that brings meaning into our life. What we're looking for is for our Father God to speak to us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Just this day. This is what we have. So speak to us from these scriptures here, from 1 John, and our hope is that you refocus us on you and keep us connected uh, for the next season of our lives, for the next week of our lives, and for the rest of this day. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. First John, we are going to start off at the beginning of First John. You can turn with me there, please. I'm not going to have you stand. This is a, uh, 
This is a, a long chunk here to read from, so I'm not going to have you stand, stand in your hearts as we honor God's Word in reading it. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning. I want you to notice the pronouns here a little bit. That is, it seems like it's referring to an object or a theory. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him. You notice the pronoun switches from talking about it or, or that, and it switches, it's personalized now. This message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's God's word, and it's good, and we're blessed to have it read to us, and uh, we honor it. I want you to picture with me um, a time when you got into a rut, a routine, and kind of distracted from what it's really all about. That could be in any number of things. In your marriage, maybe, get into a rut, you know what I mean? And uh, can just kind of become mundane or, or routine and being distracted from the actual love that's there. Maybe it's in your work. You were in love at one point with what you did and you loved it, but then it just kind of got old and it became about the paycheck or about whatever. Maybe the rut of even just a hobby of I used to love doing this thing. That's the way I was with golf. Man, I used to play golf at, at the previous church I was at. There was a couple of people who owned golf courses and worked at golf courses, so I got to play for free with them all the time, and I got pretty good because that's where we hung out together was on the golf course. And then I stopped playing because it wasn't free, and then every now and then I'd go out and play, and guess what? I hate golf now because I'm horrible at it. And it's just, I was like, I got distracted from it, and then it didn't work anymore, and now I'm like, eh, it's not that fun. But some things it's fine when we get in the rut and we're distracted to just let them go. But some things it's not okay. And sometimes when we get distracted and when we get caught in a rut and when we're not at the core of the thing, the problem isn't that, okay, this doesn't work anymore and we need to just let it go. The problem is, is we need to refocus and we need to get back to what it's actually all about. And we need to remember why we got into this in the first place. And for far too many of us in our world, we struggle with when we get into a difficult spot for a long enough period of time, we just want to bail because it seems like it's not working anymore. And that happens in marriages. It happens in, in child-parent relationships. It happens in the workplace. It happens in countries. It happens all over the place where relationships that are, are, are covenantal, that are deep, that are bound together before God, that it's difficult to, to kind of stay in that through the difficulty and get back to being on focus for what it needs to be. You know, and, and that's uh, where we find ourselves in this series is, and I, again, in the write-up, it was pretty cool because... Um, the write-up said, you know, the holidays are supposed to be a time where we're really focused on Christ. But too often it ends up being something other than that and, and can be distracting to us. And even the places, if you're here Christmas Eve, even some of the times the focus on Christ can be kind of a, uh, not really on the gospel, just more of kind of that folky religion, feel good about a, a baby being born, but not centered on the gospel. And And, and we can we're supposed to focus on family, but sometimes that can be chaotic too. And for some of us, we're dealing with anger over the holidays and busyness and materialism, even grief for those of us who have lost people. Um, and there's a lot that can kind of divert us, I would say. And this is the moment where we're saying, okay, what's it about? Not just what is the, my religion about, my faith about, but like what is life about? What am I about? Who am I? What are we focused on? And this is the perfect book for it. Josh is picking the, is kind of outlining sermon series and setting up the schedule and everything right now. And he uh, picked out the series, and I think he did a spectacular job with this because um, the First John, out of the entire Bible, is probably the most refocusing book. It, that's exactly what it does. And the reason is because you have a guy, John, 
who is like the grandfather of the faith, the patriarch of the faith, and he is late in life when he's writing this. He's already written the Gospel of John, and this is like the addendum on the end. This is when they put out like, you know, uh, like 30 years later, an author revisits a book and releases the second edition that has the epilogue at the end and the, and this, and the added material of, that's what I knew then, this is what I know now. And that's what John did. Gave us an amazing gospel where he gives us a spectacular perspective on the life of Jesus that's different than the rest of the gospels. But now, generations later, as this old, grayed, persecuted man who's lost most of his friends to martyrdom, who's seen the church go through all sorts of phases and seasons and changes, and this is the kind of a, a man who on the outside is getting a little crusty at this point. You know, and he's probably hunched over and his skin's probably melted from the oil that he got dipped in. You know, and he's gone through all of these difficult things. And yet I don't think his heart's ever been softer. And he looks with wisdom and with perspective at a church that is now generations removed from actually having been with the person of Jesus. And he has a few things that he wants to say. Time to tune in. And listen to what that guy has to say. And it's spectacular what it is he has to say. And what he's saying is, in essence, as I'm leaving this world, there are very few of us left who have actually seen Jesus with our eyes. There's very few of us left who have touched him with our hands, who have heard what the voice of God sounds like coming through a man's voice. There's very few left who have heard that, who have seen that, who have touched that, who have experienced that. And those of us who have, most of us have died for it. And here, I'm going to tell you, now that your generation's removed, what it's really all about. What it's really all about. That's refocusing. And man, we need to tune in and hear what it is that John is saying in this moment. Imagine being on the other side of it. For us, Jesus, of course, is um, the God who we worship and the God who we love, but he also is kind of like the, the focus of the holy scriptures that we have. And so, therefore, he's the founder of our faith, and he's kind of the, 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 the capstone of our religious uh, theology and all of that, you know? And, and it's hard for him not to be like a mythical uh, person in our lives. For John, this was his best friend. Like literally, like this was his best friend who died. That's who he was. And you think about the people who were now alive, these kids who their parents' parents remember this man. So, you know, I, I, every now and then I, I pick my dad's brain about um, things that happened in the past. I remember um, in August he was telling me about his grandfather and I was like really intrigued about stories I was hearing about his grandfather. Um, and I, just one in particular about how his grandfather loved to drive super fast. And my dad was just learning how to drive. And they were out west. And he's like, step on it. And they had a station wagon packed with all sorts of stuff. And my dad was already doing 80. And his grandfather's pushing on his leg. You know? And loving those stories. You know? And there's a little bit of that that's mythical to me. At the same time, it's also my my great-grandfather, you know, who I don't know, I don't have any memory of. Um, imagine if that was also the founder of your faith. That's kind of a complicated situation. That's God, the founder of my faith, and this guy who lived a couple generations ago. 
And John is watching where we're moving from dealing with a person to establishing a religion, so to speak, an institution now, a faith movement that has grown beyond just the personal connection with this physical individual. And now it's like, okay, so he was God and he had these amazing teachings, but what's happening to those who didn't have the personal relationship physically with him? And he, as he's watching that, he's like, all right, this is it. Here's the grand finale. All those who were with him in person are about to expire from this world. And I feel a deep responsibility to share what he was actually all about and what he wants from us. So let's focus on it and let's listen and let's hear. John states, I would say, three purposes in this book. And you'll see it here in the beginning. As he's saying, uh, what we've seen and what we've heard, we now relay to you. Why does he say that we will relay this to them? So that they can join fellowship with us. I say this so that you can have fellowship with us, is what he says. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And, so that's point number one, and so that our joy may be complete. And that's our, like, collective, so that all of our joy, that's not like, he's like, I want to be more happy, and this is going to happen if I write this book. He's saying, the community, our joy will be more complete as you hear precisely who Jesus is. Because as I reveal who Jesus is, it will help us to have more fellowship. And, and uh, this is really interesting. The word fellowship, we tend to think of as like, there's fellowship buildings, there's fellowship meals, and fellowship to us usually means like relationships, hanging out, enjoying one another. That is certainly a part of fellowship, but that's not, that's not what fellowship means actually in its most technical sense. Fellowship, uh, the other translation for it is the word common. The, the Greek word is koinonia. Um, the translation would be common, common, and not we have something in common, but we, out, we are common. We are the common. So you join the fellowship, you join the common. And that means that we have one identity together. And remember what we are, what we say we are at Parker Ford Church is written on our walls. It says we are a single, a people following Christ, which means we are a common. And what makes us common, what is supposed to be our primary identity, is that we are following someone. It is not that we are subscribed to the same religion or have the same beliefs. It's that we have a person who we all take orders from. We have a person who we all submit to. We have a person who we all trust with every fiber of our being. We have a person who we give ourselves over to. And that person is Jesus. And so what what John is saying here is he's saying, the one I've seen, the one I've touched, the one I've, I, I've interacted with, I've heard, I'm going to tell you about him because as I tell you about him, you can join that common, you can join those of us who are following him because how can you follow him unless you know him? And so I'm going to help you know him. And that's what the role is. And in so doing, joy for all of us will be more complete. Because we together will be in pursuit of Christ. And it won't be about you and I leveraging each other for what we want. It will be about us submitting to him for what he wants. And that's where the joy is. Because that's what we were created for. 
There's one other purpose. It's all the way back in chapter 5, but you've got to say it when you're doing an introduction. To uh, He does this cool thing where he get, jumps all the way to the end and states why he's doing it and then comes back. And the other uh, reason is he says in, in uh, 5.13, you can turn there, he says, these things have I written to you. So next generation church, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may have assurance, that you may be assured that you have eternal life. Now, what's interesting is, is that uh, I've heard this used very often about assurance of where I'm going when I die, the afterlife. I've used this, uh, I, I've heard that often used that way. I don't think that's a bad application of it, but I don't think it's the central application of it. And the reason is because it doesn't mention the afterlife here. It's not talking about the afterlife. And if you look at chapter 1, when he was just talking about eternal life, he says in verse 2 of chapter 1, the life was made manifest. Remember, he says, the life, that which we have seen, which was with God in the beginning, that life was made manifest. And then it says, and we have seen it. What have they seen? Jesus. We have seen this life manifested. We've seen Jesus and we testify it to, to it and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So what is the eternal life? Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life is not something that we experience. Life is a person. Truth is not something that we reason. It's a person. Light is not something that we experience. It's a person. Light, life, truth, they're all bound up in the eternal one. And so if, if what John is saying, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I'm writing this book to you to let you know if you really have eternal life. In other words, if you're actually in a relationship with God. Because it's one thing to name Jesus' name. It's a whole other thing to abide in a living, dynamic relationship with this person who was my friend, who died on a cross, who was buried in the grave, who rose from the dead, and is still alive in heaven now. And I can tell you whether or not you're actually in a relationship with him or if you're just using his name for whatever other reason. And this book is written for the purpose of helping you know whether you're actually in a relationship with the eternal life. And that's the point of the book. So I'm going to tell you about him so that we can in common pursue him and I want you to be able to have assurance as to whether or not you're with him and in the end, we should have a lot more joy as a result of it. That's the point of the book. Okay, so that's what First John is all about and talk about refocusing. That's what he's doing, bringing it back to refocus. Okay, so... Um, there's a little bit that I, I want to cover about what the, that, that's the kind of frame of the whole book. And then there's one part that I want to cover about in the text today as he starts to go in what it is that he says we do to engage that. How do we know that we have that eternal life? What is it that he tells us? And there's one point in, in particular that I think is, is really important here and... Um, I'm going to, I have to make a caveat, and that's that there's covering a chapter and a half um, of 1 John is like, you know, giving cliff notes on the Constitution or something. I mean, like, that, it's a very, very tightly packed book, 
So there's some really important gems that I would hope you go back and study. One of those, a big one, is that there was false religion that was hitting the church really hard. This is part of the reason why John's writing the book. The two major false religions of the day are the same two major false religions that we deal with today. They're always the two major false religions. Back then, do you remember what they were called? The Gnostics were one and the others were Judaizers. Okay, John's largely not dealing with the Judaizers here. He is a little bit. He's mostly dealing with the Gnostics. The Judaizers are the legalists, okay? And what the legalists want is they want kind of to know, all right, how am I supposed to live and what's the right theology? If I get my theology right and I live good, then I'm going to feel okay about myself. And I'm going to feel a little better than the person next to me, which, uh, you know, there's that whole thing about how fast do you have to run to get away from a bear. You don't, have to be the fa- you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster than the slowest guy. And if you're faster than the slowest guy, you can get away from the bear. That's kind of what the legalistic mindset around faith is, is that I have to have better theology than the people around me, and I have to live a little bit better than the average person I see in the world. And when I do that, then I feel pretty comfortable about myself. That is a lie from the pit of hell, which will also land me in the pit of hell. Secondarily, there is this other false gospel that hits us all the time, and this is Gnosticism, and this is about spirituality. This is about uh, the fact that when we feel spiritual, when we have a good vibe going spiritually, when we have, are experiencing deep spiritual things, then we think that that means there's maturity, and then we think that we're the enlightened ones, and then we feel like we're good with God. Same stuff we deal with. Over here, legalism. Over here, spirituality. When we just chase spirituality or when we just chase morals, when we just chase theology or we just chase experiences, then we're not chasing Jesus. There will be all sorts of experiences to be found in Jesus. There will be all sorts of theology to be found when pursuing Jesus. There will be things that we call morals that are really about maintaining a healthy relationship with Jesus. But when we're chasing morals instead of a relationship with Jesus, we're interested in doing what's right and wrong, not interested in what's hurtful to our God. It's not about the relationship. It's just about, you know, kind of my own sense of right and wrong. And when I'm chasing a spiritual experience, my goal is to feel like, wow. And I feel like the power of that. Or did you hear that teaching? It was incredible and it was so awesome. And those things can happen and that's great and all. But if we're looking for that, then we're not looking to submit ourselves to Jesus. We're looking to get a spiritual fix. And this is what John is dealing with, particularly is Gnosticism. In this, in this grandkids in the faith, what's happening is, is there's a growing sense of this spirituality that people really want more of. And you can understand why, because John got to have a physical relationship, and by physical, I mean he got to see with his eyes, touch with his hands, and hear with his ears, Jesus. And now these people too removed, it's a little bit hard to kind of submit to that when you didn't have the personal relationship. And so they're taking the name of Jesus, but trying to find their own experience. And conveniently, 
Next door is Gnosticism, which is offering them all sorts of spiritual experience. And then we have this thing that uh, we call syncretism, where you take Jesus and you take that religion of the day and you end up merging them. That happens in our day all the time. We have right now one, some of the big stuff that, that uh, kind of merges with Christian faith is, is uh, kind of uh, the, when, what we call New Age spirituality is really just kind of generic Oprah theology. Um, it's like, what would a good God do? And uh, how would good people live? And we take, uh, there, there's kind of a general sense of spirituality and the principles of, uh, of what are good community principles, what are good corporate principles, what are good relational principles, psychological health principles. And we have those things and we put them under the name of Jesus. And then as we see those things kind of making us feel good, it feels like Christianity, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a relationship with Jesus. All right. That was all a caveat. Now let's get to the meat. This is it. We've got about five minutes here that I want to go after this, okay? And this is the meat. This is what he says, and this is the big deal. This is the big deal for today. All of that's to give us perspective for the series, but this is the big deal for today. Verse 7 of chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does darkness imply? Darkness can imply sin, but we too often think of that in moral terms. Again, like there's the right and the wrong. Darkness is less about sin in the sense of me just doing things wrong. Darkness, the biblical picture of darkness, has to do with being lost, not being able to see. Being walking in a place of deception, hiding, being kind of in the shadows and in the corner. When I feel bad because of my sin, I grow more and more in darkness. My mind gets tainted and I can't see. When things aren't out in the open and transparent, I'm in darkness. When I'm an open book, when the light is shining in me, that's the light. And he says, when we are open, when we are honest, when we are clear, when we are walking with integrity in that way, when we're very clear with the Lord and just out in the open, in the light, then we have, fellowship, we have the ability to have true fellowship with one another, to be common. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. Now this is the meat. Here it is. Wait for it. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Number one thing that causes us to walk in darkness is not the passions that we follow in our life and we mess up, and if I could just get control of those, then I could have fellowship with Jesus. Lies. Number one thing is when I do not truly understand and confess my own sin. Is the number one thing that distracts me from being able to have an open relationship with Jesus. If I am in a rut in my faith, almost assuredly the reason is, is because I'm not clear on my sin. Because if I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord, it's because I'm separated from the Lord. And if I'm separated from the Lord, it's not His fault because He wants to be with me. And when all the other tracks 
get isolated and there's only one track playing like I had in sabbatical. <laughs> you don't look at anybody else. You don't look, man, if my church was doing this or if my spouse was doing this or if my workplace was doing this or whatever. Uh-uh. Any problem I have is no one else's fault. And we look in and we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And then to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, to bring us back into the light. If we want fellowship with one another, it certainly does not happen by me asking you to change. Any relationship, any marriage that thinks it'll work better, if the one spouse is looking at the other and says, if you'll just change, then we could, it's never going to work. It will never work. Any church that thinks that things could be better if this person or this group of people or that would just change this, it won't change the problem. Because if I think that something needs to change for my joy to be more complete, then clearly I am not in full fellowship with God. And if I am not in full fellowship with God, there's only one reason. Because I'm in darkness. Because the truth is, is it's a wide open heaven and I have full access to the throne room of God. And if I'm not experiencing the fullness of that, that's no one else's fault but mine. And if I want to have fellowship with you, what brings us together is our common confession. Where are you sinning today? And if you don't have anything to confess, then you don't have a Savior. Because he didn't come to heal the healthy, he came to deal with the sick. And as soon as I say, I'm healthy, I'm good, I don't need a savior today, then I'm no longer following Jesus. He's the guy in the back seat who gave me a platform so that now I can live on my own. Here's the deal. I'm a messed up person. And to say I'm a sinner means almost nothing these days. Of course, we're all sinners. We can all agree to that. But to say I'm selfish and I want what I want in the community, to say that when my relationship with my wife, that it's like, ah, there's certain things that, you know, I'd rather her do than me, even though it's probably my job. That's starting to get a little bit closer to it. To say I know that that's probably what I should do, but I don't want to do it. Now I'm getting a little bit closer. When I say, I want people to see me this way, even though that's not the way I really am, I'm a liar. Now we're getting even closer to it. If I can say, I sometimes, oftentimes, a lot of times want stuff more than I want time with Jesus. I'm greedy and I'm materialistic. I got a problem. Okay, well then come to the table where there is bread and there is wine And it is poured out to remind us of this real person who died on a real cross for my real sins. Let's not talk about our sin as if it's some like ethereal theological thing out there. But let's remember we're in a deep relationship with each other. And my sin hurts you and your sin hurts me. And it certainly hurts God. And until I can get to the place where I'm talking openly with you about where I think I'm hurting you, and until you can talk openly with me about where it is that you're probably hurting me, then we're not going to be in fellowship with the Lord and we can't be in fellowship with one another. And if I'm trying to change you, then I'm already past the spot where I'm looking at myself and my own sin and I'm already looking to manipulate you in order to try and make my circumstances better. John wants full fellowship for the church. And he wants it found in Jesus. And he says, the entrance is this. Confess. Number one thing, 
that we got to do. If we want a Savior, if we want to follow, we got to be really honest. And honesty for fallen humanity starts with confession. It doesn't mean you got to get in a booth and confess to a priest what's going on. Much more important than that is actually talking to the people who we really hurt. Starting with God, but also with others. And that's where the power of God can say, I see that, and I came to die for that because I want to change that and I want to heal that. And I can't, I can't say that he will heal the other person because that's between them and the Lord. But he can heal me and he can set me free if I will be honest with him. That's the power of the gospel. That's the center of the gospel. That's why for thousands of years, the core of Christian worship has been the Eucharist, remembering a body broken and a blood shed. And all too often, we get caught up in good messages and trying to apply them to our lives. And they're great and they're important, but every message should lead us one place, to a body broken, to bloodshed, to confess where we fall short and where we need God. Communion. Next week is communion. Here, bread and cup communion. I would urge you to not take communion. To not take communion until you are very clear on something that you can truly confess. Until we can truly confess something, not just I'm a sinner, but if I can really look inward and say, man, this is where I am failing open and where I'm hurting people and hurting God. I need help on this. Then we have a reason to come and receive a broken body and a bloodshed. And so let's throughout the week think about it. Man, I got a lot right now. I have journals full of after sabbatical of stuff where I'm like, oh, God, man. And it's true and it's real. And this isn't like, it's not cute. It's ugly. It's ugly. And it needs God. And that's where we are. That's who we are because we're human. So find that thing. Ask the Lord like David Search me, know me, see God, put the spotlight on me and see if there's any way in me that's unclean and then lead me in the way everlasting. And when we come back together next week as we come around the, the common table, common, common union, communion, that's the, the whole koinonia thing as we come in fellowship in a covenant before the Lord, it will be that each of us comes with him with our faults and failures and says he will redeem us. All right, Jesus, we come to you if we... Um, if it'd be great to just take communion right now, but we're not going to do that um, for any number of reasons. But the biggest one is because we need time to really process and to think about this and create space for you to speak to our lives. So Jesus, we just ask right now, Father God, that you would speak very clearly to us, that you would share with us what it is that we each are doing, where we are in the dark. Reveal it to us in the name of Jesus.